It's that time of the year again when your nice hosts take a few weeks off from new episodes. But before we do, we pick a few of our favorites from the past year to heat up in the microwave and serve to you while we're on hiatus. Last year, Ellen picked all the episodes because Mark and I were too lazy. But this year, Dale picked them all because all three of us were too lazy this time. <laughs> this week's nice replay is episode 252, Visual Coding, with Alina Matson, Originally published March 10th, 2022. Dale picked this one because every once in a while, people should be reminded that low-code and no-code tools like Playmaker and Blueprints exist. Did you forget in the intervening months? I know I did. (laughs) (laughs) Steven, I I did not forget because I downloaded Fitment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. cool. Uh, Fitment is Alina's uh, micro-workouts app. And uh, Alina's a close friend of ours, but was also an amazing guest. Yes. uh, On an amazing topic. Absolutely. And produced an amazing product. Mm -hmm. So amazing on all three counts, I should say. Yes, yes, yes. Listen in. Thank you. Hi, Alina. Welcome. I'm like fangirling here, so <laughs> I'm in person right now at the clubhouse, and like that was like really cool like, to see <laughs> see them do this live. Like I don't even know. Hello, hi. I'm <laughs> squirming a lot. <laughs> it feels really good to hear you say that. Yeah, it does. Well, we're really, really happy to have you in the clubhouse. Um, I think ever since we met you, we like well, we gotta find a way to get Alina on the show. And I think there are any number of good reasons to bring you, but I, we picked a really good one today, I think. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about no-code tools today, and that was really Playmaker specifically on Unity, which really got me into game dev. I'm uh. a very new and recent game dev, really hardcore started the game dev journey in last year, 2021. Mm-hmm. So I'm also here to learn from you three today as well. So. <laughs> oh, dang, we got, we got a job tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't stretch. <laughs> Well, okay, so what what is Playmaker? I don't know a lot about it personally. Yeah, yeah. So Playmaker is an asset. You can get it from the Unity Asset Store. It works with the Unity Game Engine, and it is a uh, no-code or a low-code tool, and it Mm -hmm. breaks down... Um, what you would normally do in C-sharp and translates it into little visual boxes. Okay. So if you look at um, a Playmaker, the editor, and look at like what a Playmaker uh, script looks like, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a web of boxes that controls a bunch of things. Okay, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Cool. So you have like nodes and you connect inputs and outputs, right? Oh. I'm just uh, describing what I've seen, I, I didn't use tools like this, but I kind of understand them a little bit because they're very similar to visual scripting for visual effects in hmm. video. Where oh. you, you like combine different uh, effects, you input a color, a space, or an image, and then you do something to it, and then you send it out to somewhere else, this sort of node-based thing. And my understanding is that it works very similarly, but just with data and methods and functions, right? Yeah, exactly. So each of these boxes, there's normally an input, and then there's an output. But um, the thing that makes Playmaker really special, um, especially in comparison to the other visual scripting tools, is that you can put as much as you want in these boxes and you kind of determine the state. So the the real name for the boxes are called finite state machines. And within those finite state machines, you can put as many actions, which are kind of like the little sub things, to put it uh, all in that state. So I hope that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. let's say if you were um, wanted to do like a player movement kind of thing, you could put everything kind of in one box versus like, you know, get this, get that, get that, send this, send that. And kind of, um, it just makes it visually look really clean. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. The way it's, it's being described reminds me of the animator in Unity in that like, you know, it's got a, yeah, I guess it's got a bunch of nodes and stuff and you could put in like, like little de- or little details on how they transition between the things and stuff to, to get it between the different things. But, and then there are like different, because the, because in Unity, basically the animator is as a, a, a sub-state machine thing, anyways, right? So mm-hmm. like, that's what I'm imagining seeing this, which seems cool. Yeah, yeah it um, it actually reminds me a little bit of when you structure code. I, I've talked about on the show, but like I I, I refactor my code a lot, mm-hmm. and and so what you're describing is you can have lots of little boxes that each have a little duty or a lo- larger boxes that have many duties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a matter that's up to the designer to design. And that's very much like how code works. When you take a method or a class, you decide how what the scope of it is. Right. And so it's kind of a good metaphor for just saying it's all the same thing. 
in, in a way. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, while you guys were talking about it, I Googled it, and the device noises that you might have heard on the on the episode audio <laughs> a moment ago is because I just pasted a screenshot that I found on a forum to Slack. And so this is what I found. Is this the right thing? Yes, it is. And I think looking at it will make a lot more sense than me trying to explain it. And so um, this particular screenshot, you can see um, it says like, do fire, set fire, action set. So you're also labeling all of your boxes or your finite state machines. Um, And then within these boxes, they're doing different things. So maybe like a finite state machine might be equivalent to, I don't, what, what would be like the scripting term? Maybe like a, a function that calls a bunch of other little functions? Well, is it like a switch? What you're talking about is an object. Object. Object, well, yeah. yeah. In, in object-oriented so, programming. And the, yeah, the, you have mutable states of objects and the machine is what decides what it's going to be. It, it's interesting the different terminology because they're all useful metaphors, but you do have to do some translation when you're yeah, trying to. Yeah, and yeah. there's always some lost in translation, right? Like I'm guessing as to what the connections are, but they might be somewhat different. I would guess that what you're describing is a class or an object to sort of traditional programmers. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very similar, but it's definitely what Playmaker does. It makes it really high level. And so it's really easy for people with like no coding experience to to pick up. And that's what I really love about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's huge. Coding's hard. (laughs) (laughs) Coding is hard. And yeah. 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 Well, there's two parts to it, right? There's there's architecture, and then there's the tippity tap typing bits. Mm-hmm. And to know the API and know all the functions you need to call, like that's fine. But that's kind of like rote algebra. Like yeah. the actual work is designing the, the what you want it to do. Right. Yeah. And I think a tool like Playmaker and other types of tools like that really make it very clear that like programming, mm-hmm. like the coding, is really a kind of a who cares part of it. In, yeah. In a sense. Right? Like, you know, it does give you a little bit more freedom because you could do literally anything. But with a flexible enough tool, you could do anything you want to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, with Playmaker, so there is another visual scripting option for Unity. It was formerly called uh, Bolt. But um, that's been described as C-sharp with a mouse. So that is much lower level. That sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just hearing it. C-sharp is already bad. Um. (laughs) I I do agree. (laughs) Somebody's never coded in JavaScript. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair. I haven't. (laughs) But I I don't want to give that one too much hate. um, It's now officially part of Unity, so I don't think it's called Bolt. It's just the Unity whatever scripting. Yeah, and I think that will debut as a final package in the next major version of Unity. I might Hmm. be a little off on that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Unity was kind of floating around with a couple of different no-code options to integrate Mm -hmm. because Unreal has always had uh, no-code options in it with their blueprint system. Mm -hmm. And so it's a competitive advantage that they have had for a long time. And Playmaker, I think, is the most popular tool. And so I think the people behind Playmaker were like, no, we'll just keep it our own, thank you. And then Unity had to look around elsewhere for an inbuilt solution. Ah, gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So when I um, was first starting out and um, trying to learn how to make video games, I started with the C-sharp, did all of that. That was really difficult for me. So next up was looking for visual scripting. So when I first started, it was three options for me. It was Bolt, Playmaker, and Blueprints. Mm -hmm. And so to decide, I did one week with Blueprints and one week with Playmaker. Ah, okay. Um, Playmaker did win out, and I just think it was uh, a faster learning curve for me. And I I feel like Blueprints was lower level with the nodes. Versus Playmaker, they also have um, a Playmaker action store where you can download actions that do really complex things. Oh. Um, and like kind of plug and play. And these are built by the community. Oh, oh that's okay. so cool. Well, and, and as you were describing Bolt earlier as the sort of C-sharp with the mouse, mm-hmm. I'm getting a clearer idea now of what really makes Playmaker special, which is it does map to programming sort of like we're talking about, mm-hmm. but it has its own system on top, not just its visual, but it has its own sort of language, mm-hmm. which is, which is very, it's basically its own library on top of it. That is really, really compelling. Yeah. Um, I think of like how people use Git. Like you can yeah. use Git by doing it in a command line if you are really, you know, a masochist. Um, That's me. Or, <laughs> or, or you can use one of the, the GUI tools, but a lot of the GUI tools have their own way of describing things yep. as a way to make, and sometimes that can, you lose a little bit of 
how it works under the hood. Mm. But other times, it just makes your work a lot faster when it yeah. like m- translates into a, a more easy to understand thing rather than just trying to do exactly the same thing but with a mouse. Yeah. So that is, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm getting the difference. That's interesting. Yeah. So um, one example, when I was first starting, um, I loved doing like uh, GUI work and mm-hmm. making really nice user interfaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that comes from my previous career in um, product development. But um, what I wanted to do, you know, like the scrolling text, like when there's a dialogue box and then the text, like one character at a time pops mm-hmm. up to give that nice like timing out um, kind of illusion. I wanted to do that and I spent like a whole evening trying to figure it out like here's a string and then like you know like cut up the string to the characters and then have each character like appear and it was like horrible and then I found out in the Playmaker store there's just an action called typewriter (laughs) and you just put your string in and it has all the the little knobs like the timing when do you want them to appear Mm -hmm. all of that you can even control like um, periods have an extra time pause um, and like right all the things that you would eventually think to make yourself but then it's just reinventing the wheel yeah 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 and so all that work uh, yeah, found it in like 10 seconds. I should have just looked it up first, but <laughs> I didn't know. No, that, then you learned that lesson. Now you probably always look for it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Step one, see if someone in the community has added it yeah, yeah, yeah. to the library. I really like the way that this looks. And, you know, as, as I kind of skimmed through the rest of this forum post, I see that the person who originally shared this image is like sharing it as a counter example of something that you shouldn't do. But I haven't scrolled anymore. I scrolled back out of the top because I just like looking at this thing going – Jump finished, fire finished. Mm-hmm. Is idle right? Then idle right. Like I, I understand what it's trying to say, and mm-hmm. I, I like anything that reminds me of like linguistic trees. Mm-hmm. You know, like diagramming a sentence because that was like a yeah. moment in college where there was something that was really difficult. People were having a difficult time doing, and then I just like it finally clicked for me. Um, and so whenever I see something that's kind of like that, I get a bit of that same feeling. Yeah, that's um, expressing everything as a state machine is a, like an interesting way to, to like visualize what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times when you're, you're coding, you'll find yourself making a state machine very frequently in animation, either using Unity components or your own coding. Yep. But, but anything can be done that way. Mm-hmm. And so it's an interesting like paradigm by which to diagram your program. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think as you, know, as you were saying, Alina, like it's a good place to start too if you don't have any like prior unity c-sharp experience because you can see it the logic right there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that's what really sold me um i do have to say a disclaimer though playmaker i don't think is used too much in the industry there's been some really cool games made with it um hollow knight uh hearthstone um couple other I, like kind of bigger ones but i i see blueprints more like looking through jobs than i've never yeah. seen playmaker oh, being yeah. like a requirement yeah i guess that's a good point it, it depends on what you're looking for but like you know if you're making your own game this tool sounds like it could be very valuable mm-hmm. if you're looking to get a job in the industry using playmaker it might be more difficult to find an opportunity well one of the things that that blueprints has been sort of leading the way on is mm-hmm. is unreal is programmed in c++ which is yeah. if you're just if you're coming from C Sharp or Java or any of those higher level programming's uh, programming languages, C++ is a lot more difficult to wrap your mind around. Mm-hmm. You have to do a lot more to keep on top of your code. Yeah. And so it's uh, it's sort of ironic that Unreal has blueprints and C++ where Unity just had the, something in the middle for the mm-hmm. longest time. Mm-hmm. But the reason it exists in Unreal, because Unreal didn't used to be a freely licensable engine. It was a sort of AAA high level licenses only. Yep. The reason it existed there was for tech artists, for UI developers, for people whose main job was not to code. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they needed a way to interact with the code base that the programmers were making. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times you have projects that mix those things. And Playmaker brings that to Unity. And so, like you're saying, you don't see a lot of jobs to make games in it. But that's not always what it – it doesn't preclude. You don't have to choose one or the other. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I see a lot of, like – really, really great plugins that everybody uses in Unity, like Rewired. Mm. Um, or there's a lot of like uh, localization systems or save data systems or things that are in a lot of games, a lot of shipping titles. They all, a lot of them have Playmaker integration so that so tech artists and UI artists or solo de- devs who want to program that way can use those tools. Yeah. So I would, I would guess that more people use it than you think yeah. based on what you're mm. seeing. Also, I would imagine, you know, you having experience using Playmaker, you can use that to like, 
improve like tool making processes like if you're the programmer of the group or whatever you can use playmaker and explain how it works to people who don't understand how it works but also um uh adapt it and improve on what you need it to do like make your own plugins and stuff so other people can do things without you having to code it yeah so yeah i think there's a lot of a lot of value in this I want to hear a little bit about Fitment, the game you're working on, and what brought <laughs> you towards wanting to do a lot of the heavy lifting in the code base using Playmaker. Yeah, yeah. So um, my backstory, um, I was a mechanical engineer, and I did early stage product and concept design. So basically taking something that didn't exist in the world and making it, and normally something that was novel. So one of my um, favorite projects I did was a self-driving grocery truck. Um, so how do people interact with a truck with no driver and pick up their groceries? So it was a lot of like um, human factors, um, kind of like user experience and all of that. Um, so uh, that yeah. was like my dream job when I was a that's so cool. Sorry. I, I need to hear more of your story because I know you also were a mechanical I went, engineer. I went to school for mechanical engineering. Yeah. I did. I was not a mechanical engineer. I think I've talked about it on the show, but I, it didn't work out. I dropped out of school. Um, so, uh, but like I always liked the idea of like that. And that's, that's just so, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It's. So I think something I'm noticing is I think like concept design mechanical engineers mm -hmm. I think might make good game devs. It seems mm -hmm. like it, yeah. Yeah, we have yeah two data points. I mean even here. even dropouts make good game devs. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so it's a pretty strong piece of data. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, the pandemic was going on and um, I was like not exercising at all mm. and um, I would like. Come when I say come home, I mean move from like one spot of my apartment <laughs> to the other spot of my apartment and yeah. like plop on the couch and play Animal Crossing, and then just be like, ugh, I don't have the time to exercise. I need to like you know pull these weeds out of my village. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> um, and yeah, it just it really got to me because I was feeling like really sluggish and and slow and a little bit depressed mm -hmm. and. Um, I got Ring Fit Adventure, which was really nice. I'm like, wow, like this is such a great product. And I was looking at the ring, like the hardware ring that it came with itself. I'm like, I'm a mechanical engineer. I need to design a physical product to make me exercise more. So I was looking at like smart resistance bands or I don't know, something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I started researching it and interviewing people. And then I realized there's this whole thing called fitness abandonment syndrome, hmm. where buying the product actually makes you more likely to abandon fitness. Oh. oh. Like if you buy a oh. treadmill and you don't use the treadmill as much as you think, you completely quit the treadmill and then it sits in your basement and then people like feel guilt over it and it makes them avoid exercise even oh. more. Oh, it's almost like proof that it's never going to work. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like wow, <laughs> I spent all this money and even this, like I can't do it. Mm -hmm. Huh. That's interesting because actually that's my story with RingFit is I got RingFit and I for a week I was like, this is great. And I couldn't build a habit around it. And then the longer I couldn't get back on that habit, the more it was clear to me that I never would get back to it. Yeah. And so that it's really interesting that to have it put a name to that feeling. Yeah. Because I definitely have that. Yeah. It's like you get it and you have expectations around it. And then when your reality doesn't match those expectations, it creates other expectations that then mm – -hmm. It just kind of creates this tangle of bad feelings, huh? Yeah, that's really interesting. It's more. Um, that's more. Uh, what's the word? It's more of a complicated process than I would have expected. What I expected you to say when you said fitness abandonment is like, um, I can't remember. There's a name for this effect, but like when you buy the thing, it counts as making progress towards your goal, mm -hmm. even though you're not actually making progress towards your goal when it right. comes to this particular goal, but emotionally feels like you did because mm. you put a bunch of resources towards this this device yep. but that's not what you said and so that's really interesting i think those interact a little bit because yeah, you make this fault which of false progress but then you do realize it's not real progress yeah and probably leads to the other feeling yeah. huh. but i you know just to tee it up for you alina mm -hmm. there's gotta be a way around it <laughs> there's gotta be a way so um 
Yeah, unfortunately, my hardware background was not going to solve my problem of exercise. And, you know, I'm just like brainstorming, playing my Nintendo Switch, brainstorming, playing my mobile games. And like the answer was like, it was like literally right there mm -hmm. in front of me. And I, and I was like, wow, I just need to make like a better fitness video game. Mm -hmm. Like one that's really easy, like one that I could do. Mm -hmm. If I could do it, I think other people could do it as well. And I felt kind of like dumb in that moment. It like, it came to me at like two in the morning, like the thought of making um, what is now called Fitment because like I've been on and off with game dev uh, for a couple of years. I I would do like the, the Brackies YouTube tutorials. Oh, yeah. I've heard yeah, yeah. of those, yeah. Yeah, I, like, I'd get into like a game dev binge, do those for a few weeks and then drop it for a year and then get back into it, do it for a few weeks. But then the C sharp part was the thing that threw me off with right. Unity. So I kept quitting. Yeah. So like, I don't know, kind of all these things like came together. I'm like, okay, I need to do like, I really need to solve this problem. I really need to make a fitness game that works for lazy people and like cozy gamers like myself. Um, how do I do it? Because I can't code. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that that's kind of the, the origin story. And thus Playmaker. And thus Playmaker came in. So mm -hmm. I had the idea. So... Um, Fitment, um, very much inspired by Animal Crossing, and Fitment um, is a social mobile game uh, for micro-workouts. So workouts that are 10 minutes or less, and um, it's designed for cozy gamers. So the mechanics in the game are collection mechanics, decorating mechanics, um, and using that as like your main motivation. Like If you mm -hmm. want that coin to get that really cute couch, you just got to do an extra two minutes. Can you do it? <laughs> And I found that that is like just enough to um, push people forward. What I really like about that as a as a game designer is the idea of of like grinding for cosmetics, which is such a such a really common human psychology way to make games. Mm -hmm. You've tied it to something people can actually feel proud of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is that the grinding they do has a purpose. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that can, I think, motivate. Like, you could be sort of lizard brain motivated, mm -hmm. but also you don't feel bad afterwards the way you often yeah. do when you spend hours in World of Warcraft or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, that's It feels like you've un unlocked sort of a, a, a secret door to, 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 to really using that mechanic for, for good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's remind the the description that you that you gave right now of Fitment reminds me of I think one of the only fitness games that I've ever actually stuck with for a long period of time, which is called Walker. Mm. And uh, you you seen that one? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it has like at least it has a loop that's kind of similar to that. And it's like you're exploring the galaxy and you go out and you visit a planet, and then like it tracks your your steps. I think. Um, if I remember correctly, and then like the more steps you get, it gets you more energy, and you can use that energy to send your rocket ship further, and and so on and so forth. And that's pretty cool. I eventually stopped using it because the the galaxy like outpaced my desire for walking more, <laughs> ah. um, and so then I was just like, oh, I'll find another one, but I haven't really found a good fitness app to replace it. So. Mm -hmm. Sounds like this is the app. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that couch sounded really interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. So the game has, I mean, you described already just in your, your logline there, just like all of the mechanics and features. And uh, and how difficult was it not just to actually make those things using a tool like Playmaker, but also to kind of get past the barrier of thinking it was too much for a tool like Playmaker? Right, yeah. Um, it was really... Um, so with my background in product development, um, the, actually the very first thing I did was make a game design document. Mm -hmm. um, and so- It's ahead of most people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I needed like some way to like visually see, and my game design document's actually a slide deck, so we call it the game design deck. Um, very large PowerPoint. Um, yeah, just outlining all the features of um, Fitment and then like, deciding the like you know the the core game loop and everything. So Fitment actually was going to be a narrative game, um, kind of like a visual novel fitness game. Mm -hmm. And because um, I love story, I love um, going through a story, and I get very motivated by finding out the next chapter. Yeah. Um, so that's how it began as, and then I did my first play test with. Um, like 10 people, uh, friends and family, and everyone hated it. Oh, no. <laughs> and so major overhaul of the game design document, um, focusing more on the 
I say cozy game mechanics, but like, yeah, that collecting, decorating, um, those kinds of things, um, things that are found in other mobile games, uh, like achievements, goals, like little, those things removed the story kind of completely and found that that was working for more people. Mm. And so I'm definitely designing fitment for others more than myself at this point. It started with me, but I really want to design a game that works for other people. So uh, I don't know if I answered your question, Mark. <laughs> no, I think so. I mean, <laughs> it, like you got at least to the motivation as to what would push you through those barriers. Yeah. Which it's the because part part of I think the challenge for doing something you don't know how to do is having the confidence to do it anyway. Yeah. yeah. And I, th- I think the motivations where you're describing, like building it further than your own needs, hmm. that seems like that was part of the motivation. That Yes. So it wasn't, it wasn't really that you sat in front of like, imagine like, oh, is this even possible? You just started doing it. Yeah, just started doing it. And I will say like, if you asked me to, I don't know, make like a first person shooter and playmaker, which you totally can, uh, that would take me a lot of studying and work. I kind of learned, and I think people say not to do this, but I learned exactly what I needed to learn to make fitment work because I knew exactly yeah. the feature set yeah. and everything yeah. They involved. say not to do that, but in real- reality, everybody just learns the thing that they want to make things look good <laughs> or feel good. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So I think that I think that's perfectly logical. Though. Yeah, there's yeah. the sort of like foundational learning versus the cross the bridge when you get to it. Yeah. And I think the cross the bridge when you get to it, like – as long as you recognize that you're leaving things behind you, I, it is a very efficient way to learn. I, we, when we talked to Freya Holmer about her, like, triangles of learning or yeah, kind of, yeah. of learning or whatever, mm-hmm. um, I recommend listeners go back into that because she talked a lot about that sort of, like, um, going up one branch, even though things uh, nearby nodes of learning might help you, it's not going to get you to where you want to go as fast. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would the two of you feeling a little bit like sheepish about that style of learning, I don't think you need to. Oh, I don't feel sheepish about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying it's fine. It's more, <laughs> That's how everyone does it. It's more effective. It's I mean, more like, effective yeah. and like, realistic. Yeah. The most effective learning is the one that you're motivated to do. Oh yeah, right? exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. So if you have a goal and that and that goal is meaningful, then that's that's what you should do. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before Fitment, I think I made about like four little games, mm. but that was about it. I'm like, okay, good enough. Let's <laughs> let's let's roll. Let's do it. I love it. I know I've said on the show too before that like you should start small and then work up to big things, but the big things are exciting. So yeah, yeah. I can yeah. see why. Yeah. It's it's more motivating mm-hmm. sometimes. I had to refactor the big things a lot though <laughs> because of yeah. this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still all in playmaker, but yeah. oh man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so I I'm curious, have you felt that playmaker has been limiting at all? Like are, is there things that listeners should like watch out for while they're using playmaker? Yes, okay. totally. You should not use Playmaker for things that require like lots of, I don't know, is it like artificial intelligence or loops? Like they say, don't make chess in Playmaker. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Okay. I think you could, mm-hmm. but there's something about like the web style and like the, I think like how things execute in like a specific uh, order. I get I sort of what you mean. So because it's focused on state machines, you want game designs which where every step of the logic tree is initiated by the player. It works better that way, yeah. Yes. Like not, oh, that you, okay. not that you can't send it off to a computational loop for however many cycles. It's just that it's not most efficient for that, it seems. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so um, when I first started, Fitment was 100% Playmaker, but as I, I'm learning more about game dev and programming, it's actually now a 50-50 split between... Uh-huh. Playmaker and C Sharp. Okay. So the things that I had to do in C Sharp were the decorating grid system. So if you imagine like The Sims or any other decorating game, there's a grid that pops up and you drop your furniture in that grid system. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that to me felt better with the C Sharp scripting because I could start doing is it object-oriented programming? That's what Mark keeps calling it. I still don't understand I mean, what that, that means. It but. technically <laughs> is in Unity, but Unity doesn't teach you the best practices for yeah. object-oriented programming. Oh, okay. So the, the way you described it in that tone is the correct way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was a lot easier. So with that, um, we use um, like scriptable objects as our base like template for all the different furniture and then like yeah, pulling things mm-hmm. into things and grid objects and all of that. So yeah. the creation of these objects was a lot 
easier to do in mm-hmm. the C sharp. Yeah, yeah. Got Scriptable it. objects especially is a really great feature in Unity. I, I know, I mean, I'm a disciple at the church of Scriptable objects. I think you are too, Stephen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Scriptable objects are very helpful. I, I mean, yeah. I wasn't. Uh, initially, I, I was uh, outside of the light. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I didn't, a heathen. I, you were a, a, a heathen. Yeah. Yes, heathen. a scriptical object heathen. Um, but yeah, no, I, I've I've learned my the error of my ways. <laughs> Wait, I like to hear a little bit more about that. Like, why were you against it, and why? Are oh, you I just didn't understand know? it, and I oh. had other ways of doing it, and I was like, this is good enough. Um, <laughs> is basically what I was like. But then I started using them, and now I use them in a lot of different cases because they're very valuable in, in a lot of ways. Just like with any tool. Though, you know, you got to know the benefits. You'll, you'll eventually learn the benefits and downsides of anything you use. And then, you know, you'll, you'll move on to other things and use those things yeah. too much or too little. And well, that's the journey you took with Playmakers. Mm-hmm. You used it, used it for everything because it's what you could use. Mm-hmm. And then you realized you, you understood it better. Mm-hmm. And then you, you did the, the frustrating, annoying lifting of figuring out how to do it in C Sharp and because you knew it would work better for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it just everywhere across the needs of the project blended perfectly with your own personal needs and growth as a developer. It's important because we, I mean, I think we've been talking a lot of, we've been hyping up this as a tool, but I think, Stephen, as you brought it up and as you've described, Lena, the knowing its limitations helps you use it better. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it, but I would say, I don't know, 90% of games you can use Playmaker. Like mm-hmm. anything with that, like really, like you said, like the, user inputted kind of structure and the screen reacts. So platformers, first person shooters, maybe some puzzle games. I think maybe that's like the puzzle part and the logic part where it starts getting a little fuzzy. Sure. Well, and ultimately maybe you could do all of this stuff in Playmaker. It just might take longer than um, other things. But if you're more comfortable with Playmaker, then that's fine. Because a lot of things will go a lot faster, you know, when you're more comfortable with a thing. That's true. That's a good point. Mm Mm-hmm. It's something you just got to balance. So, you know, knowing knowing what the limitations of Playmaker are are important. Yep. Knowing that there are limitations is more important. And then knowing, like, just being mindful of your own limitations and, and considering when they intersect. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that seems like the, the path forward. Yeah. This is the way. It is the way. This is the way. <laughs> Getting a Star Wars reference in there. I mean, it's that or Star Trek. One or the other. Well, you know where we stand, Ellen, <laughs> on that issue. <laughs> I mean, as a program. <laughs> sure. I'm just, you know, I toss it out there. You can bring a Star Trek reference in any time. I've got you. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Goodness. It just was a good moment for the phrase, Mark. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> well, we know what we're cutting out and putting at the end of the show. Alina, I wanted to ask you about scripting versus coding. So now that, you know, you've done some C-sharp, you've done some Playmaker. I I think, like, before we started recording, you were talking about how, like, some people feel like the description of visual coding is insulting. I don't don't remember if that was the word you used before or not. Yeah, I I don't know either. So what I have observed is there... And maybe you all can teach me this. Like, what is the difference high level between the terminology scripting versus coding? Because I see, like, no, that's not visual scripting. It's visual coding. And then some people are like, it's a no-code tool. And then some people are like, well, there's still code and, like, code kind of logic. Sure. Um, Mm -hmm. It is not no-code. It's low-code. And so all those definitions kind of get thrown in. And that made it very confusing for when I was like just starting out trying to figure out blueprints versus Bolt versus Playmaker. Right, right. because you're you're hearing this from other people and you're like, these are actual things and categories that are defined somewhere, right? And not just within the emotional insecurities of certain <laughs> developers. <laughs> because, On YouTube, no Because that's how I would describe it is, that yeah. it is in a useful sense, mm-hmm. you would say scripting is essentially programming, but in an environment that is low impact. So people talk about embedded scripting languages like Lua, where you can have a piece of software where you can write code in, like a Roblox or something like that, mm-hmm. um, and you would use a scripting language because it's, it, it's, a, it's contextual within a larger space that you can't break. Sure, right? yeah. So, mm. And so that's why it's seen as lesser than because essentially it's cordoned off in a way. That is only useful in a contextual sense. Like, you could say Lua is a scripting language, but also if you just have a Lua compiler on your machine and you compile your Lua code, 
it's a coding language, I guess. Yeah. So those terms, I feel, are not helpful most of the time. And, I mean, Ellen, we were talking about 7 billion humans, that oh, game. Yeah. That is a, that's a drag-and-drop programming environment. But it's not any different from Java or something, you know, in terms of what it can do, except for, you know, it has certain things it has and doesn't have. Mm-hmm. But it's not... It's as much a programming language as anything else, even though you have to drag your finger to grab every command. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the, I guess it's just a matter of how big your sandbox is, maybe. And mm-hmm. it sounds like the difference between scripting and coding is more about, like, again, the context in which you're applying the skill, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. And so it is sometimes useful, but it's, I think, in a very narrow context. I think anytime you hear it, especially when people talk about uh, the value of it, it's usually someone expressing their insecurities. <laughs> you know, like, I learned C++, so anything less annoying than that isn't real co- programming. You know right. what I mean? Anything higher level is not as good or whatever. Or not, yeah. or it doesn't, you're not a programmer, you're just a script kitty or something, which is oh, a very common, yeah. um, you know, derisive term. Well, see, here's the thing. If it takes a lot longer to do it with visual scripting, then, then you should be really proud of that. <laughs> right? Like what if your what if your branch tree on your thing is like eighty bazillion nodes and you move them all by hand? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's hardcore. Also it just makes more sense. Like the dang, the dang thing about coding is like you'll forget a semicolon somewhere and your entire code breaks. With this I imagine that's not the case. Is that the case? Are no. there like little things? Oh, okay. I, I need to mention this too. Yeah. So first starting off, I think the biggest thing that got me was variable types, like oh, ints, yeah. floats, mm-hmm. vector two, vector three, all right. these things were new to me. Um in Playmaker, it just like tells you what to put in. Like if there's a vector three, it says X, Y, and Z. You put in yeah. your X, you put in your Y, you put in your Z. Oh. There's no like time dot delta time yeah. thing. That concept very much confused me. Mm-hmm. And so you can't mess up types in Playmaker. Oh. Right. But you still are working with types. You're still working it, with types. It's just, it, there's just these guardrails so you can't make the oh, dumb yeah, mistakes we all make. Yeah. <laughs> That's, <laughs> it's not, it doesn't make it, uh, it doesn't make it any tutorial. It doesn't make it like less of a real tool. Yeah, the, it just means that it prevents you of making the mistakes that nope, that we all make all the time. Right. The amount of times I've messed stuff up by putting in a vector two instead of a vector three. <laughs> It's so frustrating. <laughs> so that's that's good to know. And do. you could sort of like uh, casually cast a vector three down to a vector two. Yeah. Yep. Pretty often. So it won't even catch those mistakes all the time. Yeah. So it's as as a programmer, I always advise people when they're learning. This is why I, one of the reasons I always make jokes about JavaScript. Because uh-huh. JavaScript is dynamically typed. Yeah. Anything could be anything. Uh, no, yeah, there are no yeah. types, right? Mm-hmm. That's true for a lot of languages. And there's some utility to that right. in certain cases. But I feel like if you're learning like raw programming, yeah. you want to learn it in a very strictly statically typed language because it has those guardrails. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so Playmaker is the ultimate expression of that, the way you're describing it, is it prevents you from making those mistakes because that's not how it should work, mm-hmm. right? Because in a dynamically typed language, you have to do that yourself. Yes. And no one would describe JavaScript as the hardest core <laughs> language, <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it has those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. that, it is interesting to hear about that because that is very similar to the way people describe different programming languages, is do they have those guardrails? or not. And uh, I don't want those guardrails because sometimes I want to break the rules. Right. And I need those guardrails because I don't want to be in a position where I didn't realize I broke the rules. Yes. And those are both like valid expert level programmer intentions. Mm-hmm. Right. And so just sort of demonstrating that like all the tools are the same in, in the end. Yeah. It's about how you use them and yeah. And whether you're just being nice about it. Yeah. So when, yeah, when you hear things like no code or low code, like used as a derogatory term, it's just not helpful at all. Right. Like, to talk about it in those terms. Yeah. Um, it's gatekeepy. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly right. It's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And Alina, you're a perfect example of when you, you know, you, you dabbled in C Sharp, mm-hmm. and then you are undoubtedly a better C Sharp programmer now that you've used it as an extension of your work with Playmaker. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Playmaker has, in a way, taught me programming with um, the structures because you still have to make your finite state machines and do the individual calls and like you still have to do math um but it's just a lot easier like your for loops is a visual for loop so Mm -hmm. it's just it's it's easier to look at but now i know what a for loop is and i can like type it out and know know what that looks like um and then the other thing with the guardrails too which really confused me when i first started was with Mm -hmm. unity components Mm -hmm. oh yeah Um, gosh so with the guardrails with playmaker that's really nice so for instance 
um, like a mistake that I helped with someone over Discord was they put a sprite renderer instead of a GUI image object. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are two different things. But Playmaker tells you, no, put the GUI image component, not the sprite renderer. Right, because they do the same things but in different contexts. And right. Unity doesn't know what to tell you that. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's just super nice. Huh. Dang, yeah, that mm. is nice. <laughs> Um, hi, Mark. Hey, <laughs> We've got a Patreon. Do we? Yes. Uh, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash nice games club. Uh-huh. And you can get exclusive content. Nice games club content. Yeah. Such as us. I don't know. Maybe we're going to put this recording on here. <laughs> you can have your own like the, the acapella blur? Yeah, the acapella blur yeah. on Patreon. That'd be fun. Another funny nonsense yes, of that yes. type. Yeah. Um, yeah, you should check all of that stuff out. It's really fun stuff. Um, and it helps helps us create this this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we just put a five-part series on there of us playing old Nice Games Jam games. Oh, yeah. Um, which is like four hours of us. <laughs> was it four hours? It was a long, long time. Longer oh. than I thought, actually. Yeah, wow. We, we, okay. did, we were trying to do some audio record tests mm-hmm. in the, the clubhouse, and we needed some content for it. So we thought, well, let's actually make some content for it. And you can only get that on our Patreon. Yes. Patreon.com slash Nice Games Club. That is Patreon.com slash Nice Games Club. That side the side at the end was the best. Okay, we're done. I kind of want to talk a little bit about where we have had similar experiences in our careers. Because I think, um, Alina, what you were just describing is uh, like your journey, but you want to hear a little bit about ours. And so for me, that was Flash. Flash mm-hmm. was the thing that taught me programming. Mm. And it's because I like drawing. And yeah. I learned programming as an extension of the fact that I like to draw. Yeah. Yeah, and, cool. and, and so I'm always a proponent of tools that provide you with a way to make something and then an off-ramp to learn another way to do it. Yeah. And, and that and so that's why like I will get really defensive when people make fun of Flash because it is I mean it's responsible for so much of my professional success mm-hmm. is that is that that tool existing among a bunch of new games and stuff like, oh yeah, yeah for yeah. sure yeah I mean outside of Flash is like place in history as like mm-hmm. a place where a lot the sort of first indie renaissance in the mid two thousands happened because yeah. I wasn't part of that I didn't have games that, that I released then mm. I made Flash for video production and eventually I did advertising with it and I started doing I started to need to program to make my animations more interesting or to save my time. And then so I started learning it that way. And I think that's, so I feel really strongly about tools like that that can take you from one discipline to another by virtue of project and outcome rather than I need to learn this skill, Yeah. right? I I would never, I did not set out to learn how to program, Yeah. right? I set out to make interesting animations. Mm -hmm. And then once I learned how to make those, I suddenly had a set of of skills that gave me confidence to make something else with those things. Except I'm missing one more skill now to make that new thing. Well, I've got most of them, so it's really easy to then adopt the next one. Yeah. And then suddenly you know everything on the planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the that's the goal anyway. <laughs> now suddenly you're making your own game engines. Yes. <laughs> For yeah. better or worse. Yeah. So maybe it's not so great. <laughs> So I'll always go to bat for the you know uh, if if you ever if even if you want to describe tools as like the Fisher Price version of something, like then we need more of that. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah, I um sometimes I guess I haven't done this recently, but like I would go to a class. They would invite me over to like talk about games I worked on and stuff. Mm-hmm. And these this is like a bunch of like I think they're like first graders and things, and they're learning how to program and they're using Scratch. I believe is oh, the program. Oh, Scratch is so good. Right? Yeah, yeah it's great. Because, I mean, it's, it's very simple, but it's a visual, you know, coding software. Um, and these kids are just learning how to make these games and stuff. And I like I like talking to these kids about, like, the, the work that they're doing because, you know, they're very excited about it. And, you know, it allows people to, to approach coding from an early age and understand how that works. And I think that's just so valuable because, like, if you learn it right away, then it's it's easier, you know, in down the line to use that information, to use that knowledge to yeah. in, in, in vastly different ways. And the thing that it teaches kids, mm. my supposition anyway, yeah. is that if you teach someone young how a for loop works, mm-hmm. then they know computers aren't magic. Yeah. Yes. And that is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like even if you have no idea the higher level 
you know, things that got these things built. You right. know it's not magic. And that yeah. makes it real to you. Yeah. And that means that you can be part of it. Yeah. And I think that is so important to people because there are a lot of people that you'll meet who, when you tell them you are a programmer, mm. they will be impressed in kind of the wrong way. Mm. And like, oh, I can't believe that's so like mysterious and magical to me. And you just want to tell them that like, yes, I have lots of expertise and I'm proud of how good I am at this or whatever. Right. But like, it's not, I'm not a wizard. Yeah. And, and, that, and you thinking that is not a good thing. Yeah. And I think the younger we can teach people that, I think the better. It's not magic. Like 25% of it is me like fat fingering it and deleting it. And 25% is me Googling it. And then there's some 50% of me being smart. But yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of interesting because the way I view magic is different now. Because I just think of magic as effectively coding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're just like manipulating things so you get the results you want. Right. <laughs> so you'll play the wizard in our D&D campaign. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, I'll code up whatever spell you need. Yeah, you'll do like fireball and it'll be like, what? What's this compiler error? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Semicolon. Yeah. <laughs> Should he use Playmaker? And then playmaker? the got us. Should he use Playmaker? <laughs> Should he use Playmaker? Yes. <laughs> oh well, Ellen, we haven't heard a much from you, you're starting to work with Godot, mm-hmm. and, and, you, and you've done some this or that with Unity in the past. Um, I've done some this or that with Unity in the past, mostly via Widget Satchel, mm-hmm. where I was doing a lot of, le- I was doing level design, right? So I never really got into scripting that, although you showed me how it worked, and Stephen showed me how it worked, and then I'd had to learn a little bit when I'd say, okay, we need this level to have eight bazillion boxes, so you're gonna have to figure that out. <laughs> and then you'd show me how. Yeah, I, I had to out. learn a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I did. I did some work with Unity, um, but you guys had already set up a lot of the the you know infrastructure mm-hmm. for that, um, and I was just kind of producing cool stuff. And I did a little bit of Unity when I went through the immersion program with Glitch mm-hmm. back in like 2017, which. Seemed like a hundred years ago. It basically was a hundred years ago. Last decade. Oh no. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and I learned a little bit there, and I learned a little bit about programming. In oh, what was the thing that we Stephen Fry? uh, He's a professor, or was at the time. I think he's still a professor at the U of M in the Twin Cities. He had us do a. I can't remember the name of the programming language. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You were about, there because you were doing the video. Yeah, recording. but I also forgot what it was. It <laughs> was. We'll find it and put it in the show notes. Ah, yeah, okay. It was, everyone was getting the name wrong because it was like close to something else. Yeah. Anyway, so I did a little bit of programming there and then things started really getting interesting, you know, to me when I started realizing that computers weren't magic. It was actually a couple of years prior to that when I started at um, Allen Interactions where I worked for several years and... Um, and I started as an instructional writer, but kind of right off the bat, they had like a quick project where they wanted someone to build some like tiny lessons in a tool, like a software platform they were working on building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a visual scripting tool. Mm. Um, and it had all kinds of cool things. So like, it was like really, really satisfying to just drag the in wire, like the wire from the out box to the inbox. And like, Ooh. there'd be this little <laughs> moment where you connect and, you're, and it would change color and you're like, Yee. <laughs> it was really satisfying to use. Yeah. And it had all these different properties, exactly like, you know, you described, Alina, and, like, you connect one dot to the next dot, and then all of a sudden your square turned into a circle or something like yeah. that. And I stayed up late so many nights just messing around with this and creating different things that I thought would be a good, you know, good learning experience with this tool. And that's kind of when I realized, like, oh, no, this is how you make things, do things on the screen. And that's kind of where, like, my first interest in actually designing and making games started because I finally had that experience. Like, I had played games forever, and I always loved playing games, but mm-hmm. uh, I didn't really get – I didn't really understand the bug that was trying to bite me yeah. until I started wiring that stuff up and making it do stuff. That's so interesting. That's a part of your story I hadn't heard before. And it is one thing about learning a thing that helps you learn the next thing. Yeah. But – you're describing a thing you learned that just taught you a lesson and that and you just carry that lesson with you. It, w- it wasn't like a, you, you directly took that into the next version of it or whatever. Yeah. It just opened your eyes a little bit to something. And so you're less intimidated by like, you know, GD script perhaps. Well, you know, it's like it's this is the reason why I think like it's really important to be lifelong learner, not just a lifelong learner of facts, but also like open yourself up to continually learning how to do new stuff. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like you're 36 or whatever and you don't know how to draw very well. But who cares? Like go to your class, go to a class, grab like a YouTube channel and draw a little bit because it's not it, it's not even just like you might turn out that you're actually pretty good at drawing 
odds are you're probably not because most people aren't good at most things, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's still cool. And the other thing is like it'll teach you how to appreciate the things that you see around you yeah. in the world in a way that you didn't even know. Mm-hmm. And then once in a while you'll have a moment where you're like, whoa, this is really cool and I want to do more of it. And had I never like volunteered to do that little side project for the company, I never would have had that experience and I never would have realized that it was something I really enjoyed doing. And that was really all I, all I carried forward from that experience. All I carried forward from that experience was I really like doing this and it's fun making stuff do stuff on screen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just like a little bit of practice with like logical thinking and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But yeah. but nothing like specific. That's what I think is so cool about Playmaker is it just gives you that background. Well, I think a lot of programming really is just like understanding how the logic of stuff, right? So like Playmaker gives you that ability without having to learn the specifics of how this code works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. It's so valuable. What's, hearing all four of us sort of talk about our ways in, mm-hmm. it's interesting because there seems to be like two types of ways in, right? So, Ellen, you and I stumbled into it mm-hmm. in our own ways where we, a tool was put in front of us or we had we had access to something, yeah. uh, maybe unexpectedly. And then, that, and then we... I feel like you boldly stepped into it. I definitely stumbled. Well, I mean, <laughs> I I stumbled, but it was a lot longer ago. So oh, fair enough. <laughs> it was a, it was a slow, you know. Uh, 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 in any case, I, I think we didn't set out to be game developers sure. from step one. Right. Yeah, we we right. made choices later on mm-hmm. to 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 embrace it. And I think the two of you, if I'm hearing the way you're telling the stories right, is you had the motivation to do it, and then the tools were there for you to to start that path. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. so those being there, th- those tools being available, whatever they are, is vital to giving people the ability to take the first step, their, their intentional steps, but also to catch people floating down river the way it did for Ellen and me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to, to summarize it. I mm-hmm. think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I think a lot about if I was born in an earlier decade or decades, I would not be where I'm at with like any part of my career. Yeah. Um, I used, uh, for mechanical engineering, I used a lot of um, computer-aided design, CAD 3D modeling software. Mm-hmm. I don't, I couldn't do that by hand. Oh my, gosh, my, yeah. My drawing yeah. isn't that good. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like hand sketching yeah. an entire like 737 airplane yeah. by hand. Oh yeah. Like. That's, that's obnoxious. Well, it requires different disciplines, right? Mm-hmm. So I think about this too, like when, when I was making films, my filmmaking like renaissance came about because of the mini DV format. Mm. The fact that you could have, you know, I mean, we laugh now, but like cinematic quality uh, cassette tapes in a prosumer camcorder yeah. at twenty at twenty four frames a second, that inspired a generation of filmmakers. Right. But I feel like if I was born fifty years earlier, like I would just know a lot more about chemical processing <laughs> because oh I'm, yeah right yeah yeah because yeah, that's how they were made. Or I would use whatever the analog interests that I found in my younger days. Whatever else, I like. I maybe I would be like a fine artist instead. Like, or you know what I mean. Like, it is. It's so dependent on the world around you, mm-hmm. right? In that, and you know, Alina, you like. You may have found yourself learning how to do it that way, or you may have found your natural inclinations carrying you somewhere else, right, into some other discipline. And so, it's not just that, like, you would. Oh, I, I wouldn't be able to because I wouldn't have the knowledge and tools I have now. It's like there's also things you would have picked up that you don't have to now. And so, I mean, things are always better now than they were before. But I think that there's, it, I mean, really, it's just different, right? I always think about that, like, even off by, like, two years or something, if you were born just two years before mm-hmm. or after, just catching the waves of certain things, how much different your creative and professional lives would be yeah. as a result of the things that are put in front of you. And I think about that a lot because a lot of what I do is a result of the things that I had access to. Right. And so not having that access would just send me somewhere else. And, you know... If there weren't enough things that I could get access to, then I'd hit a dead end. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of scary. Yeah. So for tool makers, always let as many people in the door as you possibly can or send them somewhere else that, where they can get in the door if, and then find their way to you eventually. Yeah. Regardless of the types of tools you're making, yeah. there's, you know, just the more access people have, the, the better these fields will be, mm-hmm. you know, not just for them, but for everybody. Yeah. Um, Alina, what, what kind of uh, drawing software did you use? Uh, I'm a SolidWorks ah, person. Ah, SolidWorks. Okay. okay. <laughs> are, are you two still friends? Yeah. No, SolidWorks is good. Solid. I used to use I used to use um, Inventor in high school, mm-hmm. and then like, and when I went to 
when I started, were studying mechanical engineering, they had us use um, SolidWorks. I mean, they're relatively similar. I remember there being like specific esoteric things about one or the other that would get on my nerves, but I, I think I dropped. I, I think I adapted to it de- decently enough. Mm-hmm. That was like part of the reason why I started doing mechanical engineering too, is because like when I was in high school, I loved like making the little gears and stuff in the books that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was fun. You still do some of that stuff, right? I still do. Mm. I do a little bit of mechanical engineering work to help pay the bills. Yep. But yeah. Those bills. Bills. (laughs) Those bills. Well, hopefully we can help you put an end to that because we're going to tell people now about how they can get involved with Fitment. Yes. How can people get involved with Fitment? Awesome. Nice nice, um, segue there. Yeah. (laughs) That was the smoothest one I think we've ever done. Yeah, so if um, Fitment sounds like something you'd like to try out, we just launched our beta program about two weeks ago. Go to our website, playfitment.com. Um, Fitment is fit combined with like entertainment. So fitment. playfitment.com. You can join our Discord to get access to the beta program. And um, when joining the beta program, basically you get access to the download links for iOS and Android. And yeah, just send us your feedback and... We're in development, and don't ask me when we're going to release. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's rude to ask a game developer when they're releasing. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> so you're fine. <laughs> it's emotionally scarring to ask a developer. <laughs> <laughs> but we do it anyways. <laughs> what else are you going to ask a dev? I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, where, where can people find you on the internet, Alina? Yes, I am now on Twitter because I heard game devs are on Twitter. That's true. So I'm mech underscore Alina. We'll, we'll have links on the, in the show notes mm-hmm. as well. Sweet. Alina, thank you so much for entering the clubhouse and hanging out with us and telling us all about this stuff. It's so, I love these kinds of conversations where we learn about, a, we're talk, he started talking about a specific thing, but then it gets wider and we, it's just, it's great. I love the conversations that are like, a door opening to larger conversations. And I think we had a really good one today. Yeah. And thank you all so much. The Nice Games Club podcast was one of the reasons why I wanted to get into game dev. It was one of the few resources you all, um, some other YouTubers convinced me like, this seems really cool. Um, Oh my goodness. You don't have me tearing up. I I can do it. I I can do it. We've got to do more of the podcast. I can't. (laughs) So yeah, thanks for inspiring future game devs. Well, thanks for waiting until the very end to to turn us into a a couple of puddles (laughs) in our chairs. I am, I'm going to make my mom join the Fitment beta with me. Yes. That'll be fun. Get the couch. Get the couch. (laughs) It's cute. Yeah. Mom, you have to get this couch. Wait for the house? Well, no, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's our show. For show notes and links on today's topics, go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and how to tell a story. We like hearing from you, so tweet back. Or email us, contact at nicegames.club. Nice Games Club is on Patreon. You should know by now. So <laughs> no excuses. <laughs> no excuses. Support the show and get stuff. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegamesclub. Just stop by nicegamesclub. Nope. That's not it either. <laughs> just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. Next week, we'll be looking at making assets and plugins and ink. But that's it for this week. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. disaster of an (laughs) (laughs) what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving made with natural ingredients hero bread supports gut health promotes weight management and helps maintain blood sugar 
Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.